This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, all episodes are currently available completely ad-free on What's the Story Crime. Signing up is really easy. Just follow the link in our show notes. You're guaranteed to find your new favourite true crime listen. From con men to missing people, forensic investigations to miscarriages of justice, What's the Story Crime is the home for all true crime fans who want bingeable, addictive, crime-based content. The Missing is produced by What's the Story Sounds. They also make lots of other great content, which I think you might like. Why not sign up for What's the Story Crime? On there, you'll find series including The Missing completely ad-free, as well as bonus content and even entire series you can't hear elsewhere. Signing up is super easy. Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime. If someone you loved disappeared tomorrow, just how confident would you be that you really knew them? Say it was one of your nearest and dearest. Do you think you'd be able to say who their best friend was? what their favourite meal was, or what they spend their evenings watching on TV. Would you be able to help a police inquiry, confident that you could predict that person's movements or spot a behaviour that was out of the ordinary? It might sound surprising, but in a high number of missing persons cases, friends and family often discover things about their loved ones they never knew or never thought possible. And everything they thought was predictable and safe is suddenly called into question, and they're left not knowing what to believe or who to trust. This episode explores the strange disappearance of Tony Haig, a case which his family believe has more to it than meets the eye. There's no body, there was no trace of him, there's no witnesses, there's no CCTV, they've not found any items belonging to him. And as far as all the family and friends know, there's no reason. I'm Pandora Sykes and you're listening to The Missing, a podcast series brought to you with support from the charity Missing People and investigation specialists Locate International. They've joined together to bring you 20 real stories of real missing people. They believe everyone could still be solved. This is The Missing, Tony Haig. When Michelle Davies realised her ex-partner, Tony Haig, a 50-year-old window cleaner from Hollyhead in Anglesey and the father of her child, had gone missing, it felt like an extraordinary event in an otherwise very ordinary life. It was February 2018, and although they'd separated six years before, Michelle and Tony were still friends. 
She'd first met him when she was 17 and believed she knew him better than anyone. Tony was a man of routine anyway, always had been. You know, he liked to go to work in the day, come home in the evening, stay at home, play chess, you know, pop and see his family, pop and see some of his friends. But he was very much a homebird, that type of person, just enjoyed his own company, practicing chess games, watching documentaries. Not a man that would go socialising in pubs or anything like that. You know, he had his life. He was happy with his life and he's always been the same type of person. Tony had lived in Hollyhead for most of his life. He still spent time with mates from school and had worked as a window cleaner in the town for many years. He was a creature of habit, a man of routine, content with his lot, with very little drama in his life. Or so Michelle believed. Tony was the type of person I think would avoid confrontation. He was, you know, he was a man that probably could handle himself, quite a strong-built fella, you know. Um, but he would never ever he just didn't get into disputes with people and he would avoid that situation. Um, he knew in this town who who were the people that he wouldn't really want to get involved with and never did. The Friday that Tony went missing was a cold, bright day in Hollyhead basically as far west as you can go into North Wales. Zach, Michelle and Tony's son, was due to stay at his father's that weekend, something he'd done every weekend since his parents separated. Tony was a fantastic father, very close with his son, always gave him pocket money on the Friday night, every week, without fail, even if there'd been terrible weather and he hadn't worked all week he would have saved that £10 from the week before to give to Zach for his pocket money. They were just unbelievably close, the bond between them. Even you know when Zach was born, I'd been with Tony at the time, nine years, I'd never seen him cry. He cried the, the day his son was born, you know? To set the scene, Hollyhead is a population of around 10,000 people and has struggled over the recent years with high levels of unemployment due to the demise of the mining industry there. It's a lovely, um, beautiful town, but it's a very deprived area. A lot, lot of youngsters have nothing much to do here. Quite a high level of drug use in the town. Everybody knows each other. And sure enough, as Tony took a trip to the local Morrisons with his mum and stepdad to buy in food for his weekend with Zach, he was spotted by plenty of locals who knew who he was. Later, as Tony returned to his flat, he mentioned to his mum that he had a dentist appointment that afternoon. He was planning to get his teeth whitened. All in all, a pretty steady, uneventful day. The only thing out the norm was the fact that that afternoon, Zach and Michelle both fell ill, hampering Zach's arrival time at his father's. On the Friday evening, both myself and Zach became unwell with a stomach bug. So we actually slept right through, uh, from quite early evening on the on the Friday night, right through to the Saturday, uh, you know, late morning, early afternoon. The following morning, Michelle asked Zach whether he'd been in touch with his dad. I said to Zach, did you let your dad know that you weren't coming there last night because obviously we were unwell. And he said, I didn't last night. He said, because I, I've slept most of the night. So I said, well, give him a text to explain that you didn't come on the Friday, that you've been unwell and that you're unwell still. 
Tony doesn't text back. It was later on on the Saturday that Zach said to me, early evening I think it was, he said, it's strange, he said, Mum, Dad hasn't replied to my messages. In fact, he hasn't even read them. And things got stranger still when Michelle's phone rang and Tony's mum was on the other end of the phone. And it's then only on the Sunday evening that I get a phone call to ask, has Zach seen his father over the weekend? And that's when we realised nobody has seen him since the Friday. I got a you know, sick stomach feeling, a, a feeling of there's something not right here because that's not Tony. So driving over to Tony's property, even being, you know, late 30s, I stopped at my mum's house and I said, Mum, do me a favour, will you come with me? Because I said, there's something wrong. We didn't know what we were facing going up there, but I, I knew there was something wrong. Zach knew there was something wrong and even my mother, you know. Michelle and Zach drove to Tony's house. When they arrived, they found Tony's mum, stepdad and sister all standing at the front door. None of them had heard from Tony all weekend. Like Zach's, their calls and texts had gone unanswered. Everyone wanted to check that Tony was all right. But everything was far from okay. What we found was that the downstairs communal door was ajar slightly. You know, it, it didn't need a fob to get through the door. That door had been compromised. So we, as a family, without a fob, were able to enter the communal part of the building. When you look back, you know, even that evening when I got home after we found he was missing, those type of things start entering my head, you know, and thinking, how did we, you know, why were we able to get in there? What's wrong with the door? Zach was the first person to run up the stairs. And by the time I get up there, I can see that the door to his flat is actually open. Zach then went into the property, looked into all four or five rooms that are in the property, can't see Tony anywhere, and comes out. So by the time I get to the top of the stairs and I realise that he's not there, I actually felt a bit of relief because I was expecting possibly that he was there collapsed or something, you know? So at that stage then we're thinking, well, where is he then? You know, he's not in his property, but the doors are both open and nobody's heard of him. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Michelle walked into Tony's flat, the first time she'd been inside since they'd split years earlier. As an ex partner who's a single man, you don't know what type of property he's got. Zach had always said to me, it's a nice little place. And I remember walking in and just thinking to myself, wow, this is so Tony. It was just everything in its place, immaculate, clean, homely. There was a canvas on the wall with chess pieces on it. And I just remember looking around the property and it obviously didn't look like it had been burgled or anything of that type. And then I seen the bedroom. And the bedroom, not a, not a large room, to be honest with you, um, a double bed against one wall and on the opposite wall was a long chest of drawers. And every single one of the drawers were open with an item of clothing kind of half hanging out. To me, and I think the rest of us then when we looked, it looked like it had been rummaged through for something. Now, that could well have been Tony looking for a pair of socks, who knows? But in comparison to the rest of the property, that stood out as untidy. Not dirty by any sense of the word, but just that wasn't how you would expect to see a chest of drawers, you know? so that's all I knew, that that looked unusual to me. We, what we also found in the property was that the heating was on. We've seen his work jeans over the radiators drying. They were bone dry by that stage, obviously, so I'm presuming they must have been there a couple of days because they were, they were bone dry. Michelle asked Zach whether it looked like anything might be missing. It didn't look like it had been burgled. So he's just looking around and then he says, actually, he said, Dad's tablet's missing. Dad's always got his tablet and the charger on that table. It's always plugged in there. The tablet's not there and neither is the charger. So we started having a look around the flat, not in any drawers, not in any cupboards, not on any work surfaces. It's not there. So we knew then you've got two things in that property. Well, three things, really. You've got drawers that have been rummaged through. He's not there and his phone's not there. And then his tablet and the charger are missing. So that was unusual. The tablet was not one that had mobile data. It only had a connection to a central hub. For him to use that tablet and access the internet, it had to be connected to the Wi-Fi. In the meantime, they rummaged through Tony's coats. And in the pockets, 
they found his bank cards and some loose change. So again, then you're thinking, mm, why isn't he, if he's gone out, why hasn't he got his bank card with him? Why hasn't he got his coat, for starters? It just felt as if somebody had knocked the door or he'd gone to answer the door and he's just vanished because there was just no signs of sort of major struggle or anything of that sort. Why would an ordinary man disappear on an ordinary day? A day where a trip to the supermarket and the dentist were the main events in his diary. None of Tony's family could fathom what on earth it might be. As everyone kept saying, this isn't Tony. But the full events of that day, when they eventually came to light, would surprise everyone and will make everyone listening question exactly how much you ever really know about a person or what is going on in their life at any one time. The police arrived and asked Tony's family a number of questions. Has he ever disappeared before? He hadn't. Did he have any illnesses or any medical conditions? Michelle admitted to police that Tony had been suffering with slurred speech over the last 12 months. Then they ask, is there any history of mental illness or depression or anything? Michelle answered honestly. Yes, you know, like majority of people, I think it's one in three people have had depression at some point in their lives. 20 odd years ago, 10 years ago maybe, Tony did have a bout of depression, but nothing of serious nature where everybody in the family would say Tony's depressed or he's a depressive person or that he has ups and downs. That wasn't how we seen Tony. They don't, at that stage, look very concerned about things. And they said, what we'll do now is we'll, do, we'll go back to the station, we'll report this in, we'll make some inquiries with the neighbours and we'll ask some of the patrol cars that are out in the area to keep an eye out for him. Michelle, Zach and the rest of the family left Tony's house, worried but reassured that the police seemed to have the matter in hand. We left it to them. And that's, you know, in my opinion, where things went drastically wrong from that day onwards. Missing persons cases are often categorised into risk brackets. Low risk, medium risk, high risk, depending on the factors and circumstances at play. On the night of assessing that situation, they put him as low risk missing person, which doesn't warrant an immediate response from, say, lifeboats or helicopters or sniffer dogs. None of that happens. In fact, officers made the assessment early on in the investigation that Tony had most likely taken his own life, something which Michelle believes was a catastrophic error on their part. Once you have closed your mind to possibilities within the first week of somebody missing that you're going to put it down to a suicide, I believe that led to a lack of response. They've never searched anywhere for, for my son's father. He asks me that question day in, day out. Why did they not look for my dad? People that have gone missing in this town in the years after, you see the response, you hear the helicopters up, you hear the lifeboats are out. Everybody, it's a small town, we see what's going on here. We know when there's a missing person reported, it's straight away up on North Wales Police Facebook site. There's appeals for the people and there's an emergency response going on. Tony didn't have any of that. What the police investigation did reveal was that Tony's day went very differently to how everyone thought it had. 
the story starts emerging as the weeks go on with the help of the police at that stage, obviously, and especially the members of the public, you are able to piece together a picture of his day from almost half past eight in the morning right through until almost 10 o'clock at night on the Friday. Tony had indeed gone to Morrison's and got some food in for Zach's stay that weekend. And he does arrive back at his flat around 12pm. But this is where Tony's day diverges from the ordinary and where things start to get a lot less predictable, a lot less Tony. At 2pm, he's caught on CCTV wheeling his bike through town. He appears to bump into someone he knows, a man. It looks like the men argue before Tony slowly wheels his bike away. At 4pm, Tony went to the dentist. He had his teeth whitened and booked another appointment for September later that year. He also withdrew some money from a cash machine. And then Tony's routine goes wildly off track. He's made several visits out of the area that we live in, this side of the town, to the other side of the town where there's a quite a large council estate. What we know is that Tony was there at about half past three in the afternoon. He's been seen talking to somebody in that area. Um, he then goes again round about nine o'clock in the evening. But recently, through speaking to the police, we were also told that Tony had gone up there half past eight in the evening as well. So we know of three visits to that area in one day. And we know that at least one of those occasions that he's been seen with the same man that he had been seen arguing with in the town. You know, it's unusual behaviour. Later that night, Tony is finally spotted on CCTV a few yards away from his flat. And again, his behaviour is far from predictable. Typically, Tony would walk down a short alleyway to come out next to his flat, but he's not caught on the CCTV camera at the exit of the alley. He's also not caught on the camera, which would show him walking the other, longer route round to his house. And that's not all the CCTV captured. Initially, they said to us, neighbours reported hearing people outside the property early hours of the morning calling Tony's name. They also said that they had footage of two men in the immediate vicinity to his property and that they had that on CCTV. Michelle and Tony's family have not seen the footage, despite repeated requests to North Wales Police. So where is that footage? Who are the people? Have they been ruled out of the investigation? If that CCTV footage existed in the early stages, where is it now? Is it significant? Has it been looked at as a line of inquiry? We have hundreds and hundreds of questions that we are not prepared as a family to give up on because we, we believe that there's a lot that needs to be investigated. The family have often wondered whether the answers lay in the council estate Tony visited three times on the 23rd of February. It is a, 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 a large council estate, lots of very good friends. I've even got family that, that live there. But there are individuals that live in those streets uh, uh, within that community that are known to be drug dealers. There are people there that have a lot of history of criminality from, you know, violent crimes to, uh, to any other sort of crimes. That doesn't mean that that area is any worse in the town than anywhere else. 
the police would like us to believe. And, you know, it's quite apparent what they're saying in, in their reports to the newspapers that they've spoken to, that they believe that the, the man that Tony was meeting was an associate of his and that he'd withdrawn money. It's painting a picture. You don't need to be a rocket scientist that they're trying to portray him as purchasing drugs. Michelle is pragmatic. Even if the police cannot confirm or prove Tony's involvement in drugs, she believes someone knows something. I do believe that there are people in that area that have information that are not coming forward. So I'm not saying that they, there's people that are guilty out there. I'm just saying that there's got to be a reason that Tony was meeting that, those people in that area. For what, for what reason? Because he's never done it previously. Tony's case is so intriguing, so baffling, because of the glaring discrepancies from the norm, the pieces which don't quite fit. And of course, Tony's missing tablet is one of those pieces. The tablet missing didn't make sense because Tony obviously had a phone which wasn't in the property, yet the charger was there for that. So why would the tablet and the charger be missing? Now, did Tony take that tablet and charger with him? Or did somebody else later on from when Tony was last seen enter his property and take the tablet themselves? Now, we don't know the answer to that. My belief is that somebody else took it. Why was the iPad the only thing missing? Could it hold the key to why Tony went missing or his strange activities on Friday the 23rd of February? The police are quite adamant they're trying to tell us and the community that he's more than likely jumped in the Irish Sea. Why would he need his tablet and the charger to go and kill himself in the sea? He's not going to charge his his device in the, the Irish Sea. So to me, those two things have never made sense. Tony used his iPad to speak to Zach on Facebook Messenger and to occasionally contact Michelle. But who else could he have been talking to on it? What else could Tony have been looking at on the iPad? Is the tablet, as the police believe, at the bottom of the Irish Sea? Or is it in someone else's home? And what answers could that iPad hold? I believe that that holds a key to this investigation. I honestly do. It's been almost three years since Tony went missing. For his family, the pain is still very real and very raw. And so is the frustration at the unanswered questions which swirl around this case. Not just the obvious questions, like who was the man Tony was speaking to? And where is his iPad? But the bigger questions that no CCTV or social media account can solve. Who was Tony? At the beginning of this episode, we asked you to ask yourselves how well you know the people around you. The people you love, the people you believe you know inside out. And then to imagine the creeping, horrible realisation that maybe you don't know them at all. That feeling is something Michelle has lived with every single day since the day she realised her ex-partner had disappeared. She wants to think of Tony as the kind, gentle, intelligent... quietly spoken, a gentleman with everybody, you know, anybody you ever speak to now will say the same thing. Such a lovely guy. A very funny guy as well, though. But a few days after Tony went missing, Michelle received a visit, which resulted in that belief being irreparably damaged. 
three or four days after Tony went missing, two CID officers came to my home. They wanted to ask me questions about his character, lots and lots of questions. And some of the questions that they asked, they're not standard questions. Is he likely to have the capability to, to do this or to do that? And yes, yeah, there are lots of questions that you can, you can look back and you think, wow, you know, what line of inquiry was that about? One of the questions the police asked was, what time does Tony go to bed? Tony usually would go to bed at 10 o'clock. By 11 o'clock, he was trying to keep himself awake, you know, because he had work, on, he worked such early mornings. So um, he was a man of routine in that sense. His mother, who lived in a property right opposite, would see his light go off 10 o'clock at night. That was roughly around the time he would go to sleep. Even something as simple and unknowable as Tony's bedtime was suddenly called into question. One particular um, DCI said to us that he believed that Tony used to go out early hours of the morning every night, that they, they've seen him on CCTV. So I said, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, roughly the same time, early hours of the morning. So I said, well, what was he doing at that time of night? Where have you, where have you got this information from? Oh, CCTV footage. So we were like, well, where was he going? Thinking now again, is he going back up to this estate? Oh, here, there and everywhere. You, you don't know Tony like you think you do. So to hear then them saying these things about somebody that you know and you've known all your life or majority of your life, they just don't match what we know about the person. So yes, they, if these things are true, there's obviously something that we don't know. They just leave you thinking all of the time. Michelle holds the police accountable for planting the idea that the family didn't know Tony and the emotional toll that that one thought has taken. So that leaves you feeling that there's something they're hiding from us. Now, do they know where he is? There was a, there was a period of time, six months or, or longer, when I wondered, has he gone into witness protection? Uh, do they know that he's on the run for something? All those type of questions because of the way they treated us in not being open and honest with us. And that's not acceptable because it just totally and utterly adds to your grief. Anyone who believes that they have a strong foothold in their family and the people around with them can recognise the agony that Michelle is in. Even if Tony doesn't come home, to be safe in the knowledge that she knew him and to remember him that way, that's all she wants for her son. You're living your normal life, but you're also dealing with this bizarre story that every time I wake up, I think, wow, that was a bad dream. And it's not because within seconds you realise it's reality. And I know that that's the same for Zach. You know, in the early stages, he, he was like somebody who had Alzheimer's. He asked me every single day the same questions over and over on repeat. What are the police doing now? An hour later, have you heard anything off the police? What are they investigating now? What do you think's going to happen? Why do you think my dad was meeting these people? Um, do you think there's a chance that he's, he's run away, ma'am? Do you think he's in witness protection? It was just continuous question after question. A 15-year-old child should not be even thinking about those type of things. For, for me to watch my child go through that at the same time as being I've lost a friend, I've lost the father of my child. It's been 
it's it's ter it's terrible but there is no answer so it'll never go away it's always going to be there tony's case was escalated to a murder investigation but subsequently reverted back to a missing persons investigation now michelle hopes the police are focusing on the motives behind tony's actions the actions which still feel so unusual to her I think one of the things that I've said to the police, and I know the family have said the same thing from very early on, that if we are able to uncover what Tony was doing in the days, possibly even the weeks leading up to him disappearing, there's got to be a motive behind this happening. You know, whether Tony, if Tony had committed suicide, there would be a reason. If he left the town of his own accord and is living a new life somewhere, there would be a reason. If he has come to harm at the hands of others, there must be a reason. And I think there's lots of things that need exploring so that all three of those areas of concern can be ruled in or ruled out. It's as simple as that. Look at the possibilities of any one of those three scenarios, suicide, harm, or he's out there alive. For Michelle, Zach and Tony's family, they're adapting and surviving. It's not what you expect. You, before any being involved in this situation yourself uh, on a personal level you see people that are missing missing people posters in the newspapers online you have no idea the the, the grief that that causes to, to the people that care about that person but they want you the listener and anybody out there from Hollyhead or further afield to know that this case is still open and they're desperate for information we're continuing. We want we want to find out what's happened and we will do everything in our power to continue this and keep it in the public. We don't want this to disappear and be last year's news and that the rest of the town for the next 30 years say, do you remember that Tony Haig who went missing? It's not just the Tony Haig, he's somebody's father, son, brother, cousin, uncle and very good friend to many people. He's not going away and being forgotten like that. Not in my lifetime. We've put the details of this case on our website, themissingpodcast.org. On there, you'll find images and details, not just for this case, but for every case we featured on the show. There's also links where you can share vital information on these cases with the experts at Locate International. They've set up a team to investigate these cases and explore any information that comes in. And you'll find more information about the charity Missing People, who work tirelessly to support the families of the missing. Their helpline is open to offer support and advice if you've been affected by anything in this episode. We can't say this enough. It takes just one person with the right information to solve any of the cases in this series. The Missing is a What's the Story original podcast series. It's presented by me, Pandora Sykes. The episodes are produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. The executive producers for What's the Story Sounds are Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. This season, we're launching a new episode of The Missing every week. But if you don't want to wait, you can listen to them exclusively on What's the Story Crime. 
Just search for What's the Story Crime in Apple Podcasts or follow the link in our show notes to get access on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. All the information is also available on www.whatsthestorysounds.com forward slash crime.